United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explorers podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explorers. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest is Dr. Andre Lejoy, Associate Program Director of Wellspan York Hospital's Family Medicine Program and Clinical Associate Professor at Penn State University School of Medicine. He integrates narrative medicine into his work with patients and colleagues and in the way he mentors residents. A graduate of Ramapo College of New Jersey and Georgetown University School of Medicine, Lejoy did his residency and internship at University of Maryland Medical Center. While in high school and college, he worked in the public library and listened to patrons' stories about their interests, research, work lives, and concerns about their health. Many of them commented that they wished their doctors took more time with them and listened more carefully. His first job after residency was in the coal fields of eastern Kentucky. The patients there taught him the value of listening to the stories they told. The stories informed him about how to best care for his patients. Little did he know, at the time, these experiences would prepare him to later embrace the developing discipline of narrative medicine. Andre, welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for that nice introduction, and you know how excited I am to be here. So thank you. Could you start by talking about this experience that you recently had in Greece? Yeah, it was a very exciting uh, trip. We um, uh, Every two years for the last, I guess, eight years, there has been held the International Conference for Physician Wellbeing in Greece. And this year it was in Thessaloniki, Greece. Uh, and um, one of uh, my mentors and colleagues in narrative medicine at Columbia, who you know, Catherine Rogers, uh, uh, convened uh, four others of us to go and present our work in a full-day symposium uh, as part of that conference. And uh, I was privileged to be invited to talk about my work with the residents there. Um, So along with Catherine, uh, we were joined by uh, a philosopher, uh, Craig Irvine, who was actually one of the co-founder right. of the discipline, right. um, and then Deepu Gowda, who is the, the dean of the Kaiser School in California. Uh, he's an assistant dean, and he was brought there specifically to develop uh, narrative medicine as the foundation for professional development for medical students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he um, actually goes all the way back um, to uh, around 2000, as an intern where he met Dr. Sharon. So he was with Dr. Sharon right through the entire And that's right at the beginning, right? Yes, 2000. and he, and he okay. was just an yeah. intern then. Yeah. And I always tell him that I'm jealous of him having had that experience so early in his career. Um, and, and then um, uh, Lynn Mihangos, who's a um, uh, nurse and a social worker turned writer and teacher uh, who teaches in the master's program. Uh, so th- this group, uh, we presented that workshop. We presented our our 
research and work in the morning sessions and then the afternoon session we put on a whole workshop. Excellent. The group. Yeah, it was cool. And how did the workshop go? It was amazing. Um, Catherine picked Gwendolyn Brooks' poem, The Explorer, for us to use. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure I would try that one myself. It's a really challenging poem. But uh, given the talents uh, of the facilitators with, uh, who were there that, that day, uh, it was amazing what happened. It was amazing what this group did with it, many of whom had never heard of narrative medicine. Um, and uh, amazing writing that came out of the experience they had. Uh, I was impressed. They were really impressed. And, um, and by the way, the participants of this group were people who were doing work uh, looking at different ways to enhance physician well-being in education and in the workplace. And they represented uh, universities from all around the world, and also um, uh, uh, national health organizations who were responsible for what's going on in their countries. That must have been really interesting to hear the, the international perspective, because certainly we have, like, the, um, the National Academy of Medicine in the U.S. has a whole action collaborative on clinician well-being that, uh, that they're working on, mm -hmm. and it must have been really interesting to hear mm -hmm. about what's going on elsewhere. Yeah, we had people from um, uh, England and Poland and Canada. It just was a quite a, 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 a remarkable group of, of scholars. So for people who are not familiar with narrative medicine, could you say something about the importance of these words that kind of get to the core of it? Attention, confidentiality, affinity, openness, humility... Yeah, sure. So, so the tenets, the, the three tenets of narrative medicine are attention, representation, and affiliation. That's, that's from the textbook of narrative medicine that Dr. Sharon and her colleagues uh, produced. And, you know, she describes narrative medicine as a commitment uh, to develop deep and accurate attention to the accounts of self that are told in the context of healthcare. That's her, her primary definition. The other way she describes it is as clinical practice fortified by the knowledge of what to do with stories. And I really love that definition because it's so practical and it tells us this is a better way to do it because it's fortifying what we're, what we're doing. Um, so and she talks about, so, so the fundamental, the fundamental, uh, uh, skill here is to is to uh, pay attention to the stories that are being told to us um, by patients and by families by each other we, there's stories we tell each other and there's this very potent story going on in our own mind so the idea is that illness and care occur in the context of stories and these are these are the stories that we encounter in the course of care if we learn how to read the stories carefully then we position ourselves to take better care of patients. And we take better care of each other, and we also take care, better care of ourselves. And I contend we become better professionals and better human beings uh, in this process. So you have attention as fundamental. It's, it's radically listening and watching closely. And you know how much we are distracted by that, um, by the processes of care going on today. 
So it takes discipline and skill. And I tell the residents, we don't, you don't have a lot of time with the patients to do this, so you got to get good at it. Yeah. So that's one. Representation. So the way we prim- primarily represent um, the patients is uh, by our progress notes. That's our fundamental. Mm-hmm. But the narrative is rapidly disappearing in the electronic age. Mm-hmm. So that that with electronic medical records, yeah, right? okay. narrative is reduced to a series of of clicks and checkboxes, and so we don't get the story there. So narrative medicine, because we we write patient narratives, uh, gives us an opportunity to represent the patients in a different way. Now the, there's two other ways we represent people. Sometimes these stories that we hear, there's little you can do, except be a witness. Hmm. And that witness is often very, very important to the healing process that patients go through. Uh, so witnessing well is very important. And then I think the other way is that if we listen carefully, we can represent the story back to the patients in ways um, uh, that position them to maybe revise their story or start a new chapter. You know, so that's a very important piece. And then and then if we do those first two things well, if we, if we attend well and we represent well, then we, we build these powerful affiliations. And, um, you know, one, I've challenged my, my uh, participants over and over that, that you, I guarantee you they could all think of a time that they listened well, represented well, and their affiliation with patients very palpable. And the irony is that it, it ends up being more accurate. Oh, right. Well, well so <laughs> if we ways. don't get the story right, we don't get the diagnosis right, and we don't get the treatment right. I mean, if you look, if you look at the word history, taking the patient's history, the word story is embedded in the word history. So, and we all know, we've known for for hundreds of years that the history is fundamental to getting the diagnosis. So, I think that's all important. Your other words like humility. Humility is really important. Um, and, and when we do a workshop, it's important that everyone know uh, that there's no hierarchy of expertise in the room, that we try to, to balance out that hierarchy. And humility is one of the important points. Openness to other people's ideas. Uh, one of the beauties of narrative medicine is we slow down and we listen to each other, which again is fundamental to the, to the discipline, is that listening. Um, so these other words are, are really part of it, um, but but that humility and that openness and the realization that any one of the people in, participating in a session might hold the puzzle piece that expands or opens the whole session up for someone else in the room. Mm. So so this is how we I kind of deflect the concept of expertise, mm-hmm. and just from a personal point of view, when I do a presentation or a session. I may have been rolling this text over in my mind, whether it's a poem or a painting, in my mind for a whole month, and there is never a session where multiple people contribute to my experience of that text, even though I've been (laughs) thinking about how am I going to deliver this uh, for a whole month. Well, and something about the sessions, too, this focus and... um the acknowledgement of how limited everyone's time is. I think it's also important to note when you when you do a session, uh, you're looking at one specific thing, and the writing exercise is fairly short. And same with the the opportunity. It's like this protected sh- space to share, but it's also not 
terribly long, and I think that that's important too because there is um, there's a certain respect there. It's a respect for the amount of time, and when you say you know the whole thing is an hour, for example, it starts and it is done, and people can depend on that. Do you want to say something about um, an example of how a session might go? If there's an example that you can think of that you've done, so that people get a feel for that. Um, Trying to think of the hundreds. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. So, so um, well, you start off by picking a text. And, and you might have a theme for the session. Um, so, um, uh, but I, I don't always have to have a theme. If I find a good text, then I'll, I'll find a reason to use it. Sure. So, one of the ones um, that I did recently is a spoken story from the Moth Radio Hour uh, called Critical Crash. Mm -hmm. And it's a remarkable, it's actually a perfect narrative medicine story, and I'll explain why in a minute. But um, it's a story told by a trauma surgeon um, from her days as a student on the trauma service. She was a second-year resident on the trauma service at Johns Hopkins, and she was called to take care of a critically injured 16-year-old who had wrecked her car, was thrown from the car, and the car fell on her. And so she had a severe, severe injury. And um, uh, we listened to that story in three parts. And, and um, I encourage the audience to listen carefully to, to the words she uses and, and what are some of the clues to the stories going on here? And there's this explicit story of caring for this critically injured teenager and what happens. But there's also this implicit story of her own critical crash going on and weaving its way through this story. Um, uh, so, um, so we listen to that story. We have a facilitated discussion of the story, and again, when I facilitate the, those discussions, I really get try to get people to focus on you know what are the words uh, that clue you in to something about the story mm -hmm. that a, a superficial reading or listening you might miss that. If we're looking at a painting, something about the colors, something about the layout, um, something about the position of the characters in the painting. Um, so look for, for specific clues. It's called close reading. And anybody who's done literature in school has, has, has had these experiences. But this is the fundamental skill, skill is that close reading. Um, and then um, after that discussion, uh, well, we'll open it up a little bit and people can talk about how it impacts them or how it might apply to their day-to-day -day work. Um, and, uh, and then we'll have this writing moment and we'll give a prompt. Um, so for critical crash because uh, it was a great experience in listening was to write about a time or uh, write about a time that your listening made a remarkable difference in someone's life and it surprised you for example and and typically the prompts will tap in to people's experience um, and, and prompt writing is a is a real skill and takes a little bit of time and thought to, to create those. Um, yeah, it's it's trickier than it, it sounds. It really, <laughs> no, it really is. They should be sure. See, that prompt example I gave was pretty long. Uh -huh. um, they should, uh, I try to find short ones, and poetry is wonderful because you can just take a fragment of a line and use that for a poem. Yeah. So we had a poem about hope. 
a couple months ago, and the prompt was, hope is, and finish that statement. So that's a very simple uh, way of, but that's a prompt that opens up to people's experience. So invariably, people have, um, have something to write about. It's really rare that people don't have something to write about. And I have some simple instructions to help prompt that writing. But the key here, and this is what distinguishes narrative medicine from other types of reflection in medical practice, is that this writing piece uh, exteriorizes something that's interior. It, it brings to the surface something that we've been carrying inter interiorly. And when we write it down, we now can examine it, and we, we in, always have a different perspective than we first experienced it. Even if it was yesterday, today we're different. Mm -hmm. So and we might have a different set of lenses on today. And so when we write it down, we can examine it. And a powerful example of that is I remember one of my, my residents gave me a little short piece, and um, it sounded poetic, but she hadn't written it that way. And I said, do you mind if I just reorganize this? Change not a word, just reorganize it into a poem. And she read it. She had a tear in her eye. She said, I never knew how beautiful this was till I read it. So this exteriorization of the experience is so important uh, for all of us. The other thing that happens is um, when we share it, if we've got the guts to share it, and it takes some courage to share, we make ourselves vulnerable. But you, now you have all these other perspectives have their eyes on your, your story, and they can share and help you grow more. And then the last thing that happens is that we now have now made room for something else to percolate. And if people participate in the process routinely, they've got this sort of constant cycle of, of experience that are at least coming to mind, and hopefully they'll take some time to do a little narrative writing on their own. Well, and like anything else, it's sort of the, you strengthen the muscles, because when you do something repeatedly, you get, uh, it's, it becomes more natural, and you can do it more quickly, and um, it's just more intuitive. It's muscle memory of our eyes and our ears and our heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And another thing that, if you haven't tried it before, you can be surprised at what it means just for a very brief time to be responding to the same prompt with other people because it is it is exponentially more, hmm, how can I say this? It's different than when you do it alone because you can always, you know, listen and respond to something alone but it is quite different, and it is, um, and it is really interesting the things that you connect with, or the things that you realize might be different than some of the the responses you're hearing. And what could you say about um, some of the the participants? Just some of the things that you've observed that there's a kind of surprise at how at how this goes. Yeah. With the <laughs> well, what you just said, your, your comment about um, being together with others, is actually one of the themes that uh, emerged from my uh, semi-structured in-depth interviews with the residents, uh, which is what I presented at the Greece meeting, um, that over and over the comment, this comment came up regardless of the question, and it was, it was not being alone in this the comfort in not being alone in this and knowing others were having the same experience, the same reflections, was very um, reassuring uh, to the residents that, one, they're on the right track, and two, they got company, and there's other people they can turn to when they're, when they're going through some of these 
challenges that they encounter. And we have challenges every day. Medicine is very difficult work. Yeah. Uh, very difficult work. Narrative medicine, I think, is hard work. The work we do, yeah. we do in narrative medicine is, is hard work. And it does um, uh, require a commitment to expending some energy in those sessions. You're in uh, family medicine. Could you say something about how this has been helpful to you within family medicine and within the way that you that you're teaching and sort of mentoring these mm -hmm. next generation mm -hmm. of uh, of practitioners? Yeah. So, so since I've done the the certificate program, I am. In undoubtedly uh, a better, well, I think I'm a better physician, uh, and clearly a better teacher, and a better mentor. And it really comes down to listening. And also, uh, rather than um, uh, rendering opinion or answers, I, I send people off with questions mm -hmm. that, that get them in the right direction, and, and they're, they are... Uh, questions that help them grow. And uh, the other thing that I've learned is that it's so much more important for me to be a repository of uh, facts that I transmit from my lips to the ears of my residents and students as opposed to being a catalyst for internal events. And since I've adopted that policy, my doorway is almost never empty. Hmm. You know, it really is... Um, and people don't come asking for that specifically, but but that's what happens. Um, that that we, we deal with adult independent learners. So if you can provoke them that way, um, they'll go out and cultivate themselves. And I, I think that's so important with regard to the patients. Um, you know, the, the close listening and the representation and affiliation are very important. But I I use narrative methodology with the patients. I will give them things to read. I will ask them to write um, things um, in response to what they've read, and they come back with it. Um, what, actually, one of the projects that I'm very excited about is this nursing home narrative writing project mm -hmm. that I have going on. And when the residents go over and do their nursing homework, at the beginning of that cycle, I give them a short story to read called um, Skyview Haven, and one of my classmates wrote this is one of her in her book, and uh, it's about taking her father to the nursing home, and it's just a short read. It's very colorful, very very craftily written, and actually it's a close read of the nursing home. Mm. It was so fantastic about mm. it, and her father and his experience and her own her own story is embedded. So it's really just again perfect narrative medicine story. I asked him to read it, and then I say, look around. And pay attention and see if you can find a character you can write in to the story. And you know, give me 250, 300, 400 word, a little, just a little narrative. And then I, I will give them written feedback, not so much about their writing, but how what they wrote reflected what they read and also reflects close reading of their patient, whoever they wrote about. And then, um, I, if they're willing, I will share it with the families. Huh. And ask the families if they wouldn't mind responding uh, to what they have read. And it's really amazing. Everybody, every family that's responded, they all say the same thing. 
almost use the same words, that my loved one was being treated as a patient and not a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there was one recently that was so moving because um, they, they wrote that it was uh, reassuring to all of us that the doctors were listening to my father because in listening to him, they would come to love him and um, uh, because they got to know him. Hmm. And my father felt this love. And this one person went on to say that in the last months of uh, his life, that the narrative medicine care, and she used that term, the narrative medicine care he was receiving was the sole contributor to the quality of his life. Wow. Yeah, this is so powerful. So these are the kind of things. This is, And to me, that's full cycle. That's taking the thing full cycle. Yeah. Um, and um, it's just so moving to me when, when I see that kind of impact uh, occurring. I don't have a lot of data, but, I, but, it, but I'm continuing to gather that. Um, well, another thing that's coming full cycle is I'm seeing you a few decades ago in the library, and when you speak about becoming a, this visual verbal repository and having more and more examples kind of at your ready um, for these uh, conversation, um, it's lovely that that's kind of coming back too. The, because in, there are a lot of ways that a hospital or another healthcare setting is a bit like a library, right? Mm-hmm. And the, oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. Well, one of, so in, in my travel, travel narrative minutes and travels, one of the most interesting people I met uh, at one of the workshops of Columbia was a woman whose job was story banker. <laughs> story that banker. That was her job. Story, story banker, and she worked for one of these think tanks who was trying to reckon, okay, where should healthcare be going? And her job was to collect stories from physicians and patients and put them into this repository that this think tank would then dissect and, um, and try to discern how do we advise healthcare organizations on the way to go in healthcare. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, you've been listening to... The Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest has been Dr. Android Lejoy, Associate Program Director of Wellspan York Hospital's Family Medicine Program. Learn more about narrative medicine at Columbia University's School of Professional Studies. Thank you, Andre, and good luck. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You have been listening to The Seminary Explores, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. (laughs) 